series called Spirit Lead Me, where we've been looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And we've been going through this series over two weeks now, and we began our series by looking at the person and the voice of the Holy Spirit, trying to understand, uh, firstly, who is the Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity, and how do we hear from the Spirit of God? If the Spirit of God is a person, then it seems to make logical sense that he wants to speak to us. So how do we then hear from the Holy Spirit? And last week, um, we continued on by looking at the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can catch up on both of those, uh, on both of those messages online. This morning, to begin our time together, what I thought I would do is just share from some time uh, that I had earlier on this year when I, was, um, when I went to Melbourne. I did have the opportunity of going to Melbourne earlier on this year for a conference, but uh, added on to that at the start of this time, my wife Sarah and I were able to spend a few days doing holiday things around the place in Melbourne. And one of the things we were able to do was go to the Shrine of Remembrance. Uh, you'll see a photo there on the screen right now of what the Shrine of Remembrance looks like. Has anyone had the opportunity to go to the Shrine of Remembrance before? Um, Okay, if you're not familiar with the Shrine of uh, Remembrance, you can go inside this building that you see on the screen right now. And what it is, essentially, is a huge museum uh, that has different sections devoted to the memory of different Australians who have fallen in war um, throughout our history. It has different sections that represent the different wars that we have been involved in in our, uh, in our brief history. Um, but in all of these sections, there, is, uh, there are somber places that you can be where you remember Australians who have fallen. Um, and one of the things that seemed to disturb me uh, a little bit during my time there wasn't anything that was part of the museum. Um, but while my wife Sarah and I were, were looking through this, uh, were looking through the Shrine of Remembrance, one of the things that seemed to frustrate me and disturb me a little bit were some high school students who were running around. Um, they were running around and making a huge amount of noise in this, uh, in this area, being quite silly. And usually I wouldn't care too much because that's what high school students do. They're supposed to run around and be silly and, and do their thing. But for me, because of the place that I was in, there was something that disturbed me by their, by their silliness and loudness and behaviour that they were, um, they were displaying in this place. And none of their teachers seemed to be doing uh, anything about this as well. Um, and I think the reason that this, um, this disturbed me and just made me feel this way inside was because of the nature of the place I was in. There was a, a somberness that was supposed to be uh, in this shrine uh, due to what it represented. It represented the people uh, from our country who have fallen in war um, and it was meant to be a place of remembrance where you come and remember uh, these people who have, who have fallen. Um, This place is a place in in Melbourne anyway, and in our country, that holds a certain place of significance for many Australians. Now, as Australians, we typically aren't the kind of people who elevate certain places or elevate certain things, Um, and yet with places like this, I'm sure many of us would be able to agree there's a certain significance that we would be able to place on, uh, on, on a place like this. And in most cultures throughout our world, they place certain significance on different 
on different locations that they might uh, that they might see and understand different places as being more significant than others. And today, um, what I want to spend a little bit of time doing at the start of our time together is looking at a place, the most significant place for the Jewish people in the Old Testament, which was their temple. When we look at the, uh, at the Old Testament, there was no more significant place for the people of God than the temple that they would, uh, that they would go to. Now, the temple of God, this is a, uh, a changing theme throughout Scripture, um, and it is a common, uh, a common theme that we see all throughout, uh, all throughout the Bible. Um, and the common theme of the temple of God is that it's God's dwelling place. Now, we do believe that God is everywhere. He is this word omnipresent. Um, but in some, uh, his presence is more realized fully in some places than other places throughout Scripture. Um, and one of the common ways that the presence of God is shown throughout Scripture, even as we spoke about last week, is through fire. Um, we see this at multiple times through, through Scripture. We see Moses in the burning bush where, uh, where God spoke by his presence to, to Moses. Um, we also see another time where Moses encountered the presence of God in the book of Numbers uh, in chapter 16, where there were 250 people who were consumed by the fire of God for causing division within the people of God. Last week we spoke about Pentecost where God came upon the believers um, and displayed himself like tongues of fire. And another point which we're going to be looking at this morning where, uh, where the presence of God comes like fire on his people is in 2 Chronicles 7 verses 1 to 4. So if you have your Bibles, I just invite you right now to open up to 2 Chronicles 7 verses 1 to 4. We're going to spend our time looking at this just at the start of our, uh, our time together. Now, at this point, when we come to 2 Chronicles 7, the temple has just been completed. There were a huge amount of instructions that God gave to his people to guide them in what the temple was going to look like. The Ark of the Covenant was then carried into the, uh, into the temple, which housed the presence of God. Um, and, and, and then at this point in 2 Chronicles 7 verses 1 to 4, we see all of God's people gathering and, uh, and coming to worship God together at the opening of the temple. And then we read this in 2 Chronicles 7. It says this, When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. I've been at this 
church here at Brackeye um, for just over over three years now. Um, but before I was a pastor here at, uh, at Brackenridge Baptist, I was a pastor on the Sunshine Coast, and my role that I was involved with was particularly centered around uh, working with youth and young adults. And I really enjoyed this role, and I, uh, I really valued the nights I, uh, I spent doing this. And on my second last night of doing youth ministry, my, my second last Friday night, uh, what we decided to do was have a bonfire. This is a fairly common activity that you might do uh, at, a, at any youth ministry, um, where you might have just a little fire that everyone can sit around, roast some marshmallows, and watch together. Now, later on in this, uh, in this youth night, uh, after we had begun the bonfire, I needed to go and prepare for, uh, for another activity that we were going to do later on in the night. And so I said to my supposedly responsible youth leaders, you can take care of this bonfire. Everything is in your hands. I trust you. I've been working with you for three years now. You are in charge of making sure that everything is safe and sound uh, for our, our teenagers around this bonfire. If anything starts to go down with the fire, all you need to do is get a little bit more firewood and then you can get the fire back up and going. And so I went away, um, but what I had not been expecting was the youth leaders to find these big uh, electrical drum cables, these big wooden electrical drum cables. Do you know the things I'm talking about? They're quite big, but we had three of them that were left over um, uh, behind some sheds in the church. And what they decided to do when the fire was starting to go out was put all three of these things onto the fire. And so suddenly our little youth bonfire turned into this blazing inferno where ash was spurting out everywhere. And then um, as I was preparing for this uh, activity that, I, that we were having later on in the night, I got a FaceTime from one of my youth leaders that showed me a video where one of these electrical drum cables began rolling off the fire, on fire, and there were youth children trying to stand in front of it, trying to stop it. Now, this was my second last night of youth ministry at this church, and I, at that moment, thought, I'm either going to burn some youth children terribly, or I'm going to set the church on fire. That was what I, uh, what I thought was going to, uh, to happen um, with this raging inferno that suddenly began to, uh, to end up. Now, everything ended up okay. Can I just make that very, very clear? No one was hurt in, uh, in what, was, uh, what was, ended up being quite a, a large fire. Um, but sometimes I think when we, uh, when we think about the presence of God coming like fire, when we see tongues of fire or the burning bush, or what we read here in Second Chronicles where God comes and fills the temple with fire, we may just think of this little tiny flame that, um, that comes like a, little, uh, like a little bonfire that some of us might have been familiar with. But I don't think that's a picture at all because what we see here in... Uh, in 2 Chronicles 7 verses 1 to 4, is the priests were not able to enter the temple because the presence of God was filling it so much like fire. I think this would have been far more of a raging inferno that God came, uh, came down as when he, uh, when he came in this moment. Picture this scene. You're there with the rest of the nation of Israel, 
you are praying, as we often do here, you're praying for the presence of God to come and fill this place. You've just finished worshipping and Stephen's just come up and he's just said, we're going to, we're going to uh, get the offering right now. If you would like to give to the work of the church, um, then, then this, uh, this is your opportunity to do that. And then suddenly after the offering time, that's the moment that God comes like fire and fills this room that we are in. It says here, as I said before, that because of this inferno, that the, uh, that the priests weren't even able to go and enter this place. And this is what the presence of God is like. The presence of God is shown to be this uncontrollable, fiery presence. And yet, and yet amongst all of this that was happening, this didn't seem to make any of the Israelites fearful of the presence of God. Even though they weren't able to enter the temple, what was their reaction? They turned their eyes towards God, and because of His presence as fire, they seemed to see Him as loving and good. For Solomon and the Israelites, when they built the temple and they saw God um, make his home in this temple, they began worshipping him and praising him and magnifying his name. That is what they did. And yet, at the same time, they were keenly aware that the presence of God was not something to be messed with. They understood the power of the presence of God. This is a key moment in the history of Israel where they recognized and had an awe and appreciation for the presence of God. And then, when Jesus came, something happened and a, a switch clicked at that moment because something changed with the temple. No longer was God's presence just going to dwell in the temple, but the, the curtain of the temple was then torn from top to bottom. There were multiple events that happened at the death of Jesus. The sky went dark, the earth shook, and the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And what this represented was now the presence of God being released upon the world. And the significance of this moment, of the presence of God now being released from this place, this temple, can't be overstated. It was God himself who tore the curtain. That's what it meant when it tore from top to bottom. And by doing this, this was a clear sign that God was saying, my presence is not going to be housed in a building anymore. It is going to be released on the world. The Spirit of God was now released, um, not to be known within a building, but within the hearts of believers. In Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22, Consequently, you, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So this fire that we see in 2 Chronicles 7, 1 to 4, is now the fire, the presence of God, the same presence that comes and makes its home 
within the heart and life of every single believer when we place our trust in Jesus. There's a, uh, a preacher called Francis Chan who, uh, who says, says it like this. I love the way he describes it here. I would give anything to stand outside the temple and watch God's glory descend. But I get something so much better. I am literally part of the temple itself. Somehow, by the blood of Jesus, I became worthy of joining with others to form a dwelling place for God. Peter described us as living stones. You are a stone in the same structure in which the apostles and prophets are the foundation, and Jesus himself is the cornerstone. When Paul talked about this concept, he used the plural form of you and the singular form of temple. So we all are joined together to form one house for God. Somehow I am a block of a temple that transcends time and space. And because the structure is a temple, this means that God makes his home among us. You should be bursting out of your skin at this point. Don't try to solve the mystery, just stare at it. This is the truth that we see here, that we are now described, believers, as the temple of the Spirit, the home of the Holy Spirit. So the same presence of God that spoke to Moses, the same fire that was there in the burning bush and at Pentecost and there in 2 Chronicles 7 is now the same presence that is alive in us. So the significance that was placed on the temple in the Old Testament is now the significance that is placed on us as the temple for us here today. But it doesn't speak about us um, this is what Francis Chan's point was before. It's the, the temple of God is not uh, spoken of as singular, so it is not a case of you get one Holy Spirit and you get one Holy Spirit and you get one Holy Spirit, but we together make up one temple of the Holy Spirit. And the ramifications of this are huge. Because it means that what we do in private or in public, when it comes to things like sin and holiness within our life, that this doesn't affect just us, but this affects the whole temple. Everything that we do affects the temple of God. And if we are, um, if the reaction of God's people when we see them uh, in the Old Testament gathered here, uh, coming before the temple and worshipping and having awe in front of God, the presence of God in our lives should be something that changes us hugely. One thing um, I've heard a few people say uh, in, the, in the past, and I understand the, the, the well-meaning behind this, um, some people have tried to make the argument that, um, that emotions have no place within, within Christianity, um, yes, we should have a, uh, an intellectual faith and our faith shouldn't be ruled by our emotions. I agree that our faith shouldn't be ruled by our emotions, but it should influence our emotions. <laughs> if we have the presence of God within us, that should be something that changes how we view things emotionally within, uh, within our lives. Things should be changed within our hearts and our minds. In 2012, 
Um, I had the opportunity to go to Israel for about two weeks, and I had the opportunity to go to several different places in Israel, and one of the places I was able to go was to the western, sometimes called the Wailing Wall. And this place um, is said to be the, the place on earth that is believed to be the closest place to the Holy of Holies, which is the, uh, the inmost part of the temple which holds the Ark of the Covenant. That photo that you'll see there, that's younger, uh, skinnier Dave in, um, at, the, uh, at the Western Wall being there. Um, and although this is, uh, this is commonly known as the place of prayer that is the closest to the, uh, to the Ark of the Covenant, the place on the other side that you'll see on the right is the actual place that you can get to the, uh, to the Holy of Holies or the Ark of the, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, being in this place is a very sacred thing for many Jewish people. There are a lot of rules based around what you're able to do when you are visiting the Western Wall. You have to wear, um, you have to cover your head when you are there. Um, people are split uh, by gender when they are uh, by what uh, when they are there. Um, and if you are not showing respect when you are there, you will get kicked straight out of uh, of the uh, of the area at this place. And there was a few things I was able to reflect on and learn during my time when I was, when I was standing there. Um, firstly, I was able to recognize and understand the significance that this place had. This place held reverence and awe for a lot of these Jewish people who were there. This was an important place for them to be. The second thing I felt was actually a sense of sorrow. The reason I felt a sense of sorrow was because there were many Jews who were there, most of the Jews who were there, who hadn't believed in Jesus and they hadn't understood that God's Spirit no longer dwells in a place, but it now has made Himself available to all of us and to make Himself uh, to make the temple available within our, our hearts. So that's the second thing I thought. Firstly, I understood the significance of the place. I felt a sense of sorrow for some of the people who were there. But thirdly, I felt a sense of, of weight. It, and the reason I felt a sense of weight is because I looked at many of these Jewish people who were there and I saw how they were praying and I saw how they were behaving when they were in this place and I saw the significance that this place had for them because they believed the Spirit of God was there. And it made me think, do I think about this and do I live like this? And do I have this sense of awe and reverence when the Spirit of God is within me at all times? This was an important place and I felt the weight of this. Now, the wonderful thing for us as followers of Jesus we don't need to go to the other side of the world to be able to encounter the Spirit and the presence of God. But that doesn't mean that our appreciation of the temple, which is us, should be any less than these Jewish people here in, uh, in Jerusalem. They understood the weight that it meant of having the Spirit of God present with them. And we should understand that too. It should fill us with awe at who our great God is. And, uh, and, then, uh, and this 
This awe and wonder is expressed later on in the New Testament as well in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 to 17. It says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So we see here in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, there is weight placed upon being the temple of the Holy Spirit. He calls the temple of God sacred. And the requirement for any person who is part of the temple of God, the responsibility of all Christians, is to keep God's temple holy. A few years ago, um, Sarah and I, we were hosting Christmas for, uh, for our family. We invited uh, Sarah's parents and my parents and my sister's family around for Christmas. And one of the things that we thought we should probably do is do a bit of a tidy up uh, before, before Christmas. So we did that on Christmas Eve. Now we're d- generally uh, speaking very tidy and, and clean people. That's just part of my my annoying personality, Um, but we thought it would be worthwhile to go to some extra effort and clean the, do a deep clean of the house since we had so many uh, family coming over. We didn't think things were going to take too long, so we started quite early in the morning. Um, But as we went along, there were certain little things that we began to notice throughout our house where we realised oh, this wasn't as clean as I thought. Oh, this needed a bit more of a tidy up, more, more than I thought. Our dog's nose marks on the glass doors, that was something that we needed to, to clean up. We needed to clean out the, the gutters. We gurneyed the back patio. We were cleaning the tracks in the doors. We were wiping down the windowsills and little did we know that this was going to end up being an all-day job. Now, we thought that our house was, was tidy and clean, and it is, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but there was just all of these little things that we needed to do along the way um, to be able to do a really, really good deep clean on, uh, on our house to make sure that everything was ready for us uh, for Christmas this year. Now, for many people, when we first become a follower of Jesus, when we first become a Christian, there are things in our life that will be cleaned out straight away. There is often radical transformation that can happen. For me in my life, this happened when I was 15 and I became a follower of Jesus. We can be so aware when we first begin following Jesus that his presence is alive within us and we can be so aware of the freedom that the Spirit of God brings. But then as we go on in our relationship with God, we can have some sense, whether consciously or subconsciously, that we have already grown in holiness. We can be inclined towards thinking, I have grown to the level of holiness that is satisfactory and there is nowhere else for me to go. And I want to suggest that to really keep the temple of God holy, to really keep it cleaned out, there are moments for all of us where we don't need to just reflect on the little things within our life, but we need to do some deeper self-reflection and pray to God and ask, God, what are the things in my life that aren't from you? 
What are the things that I have maybe been neglecting for a certain amount of years? Is it pride that has slipped into my life? Is it gossip that has slipped into my life? Is it bitterness that has slipped into my life? And then we allow the Spirit of God to speak to us about those things in our life that are not from Him. Now, I don't want to um, communicate in any way that holiness is simply our job to do on our own. This is not something where we just continue to strive and strive and strive and strive. Holiness is primarily about experiencing the freedom that we already have in Christ. Already we, are, we are already experiencing the Holy Spirit's presence within us and then allowing Him to transform us. So that's what it is to, uh, to grow in holiness. And the wonderful thing about, uh, about keeping God's temple holy is the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work for us. He comes and lives in us and changes us. The picture of fire is that he comes and burns out the things in our life that are not from him so that we grow in holiness. It is his work in us, not our own. But I do want to suggest that there are moments for us where we do need to do deep reflection and allow the Spirit of God to transform us so that we can keep uh, God's temple holy. So what I want to encourage you to do throughout this week at some stage, spend some time, maybe even up to an hour, spend some time just doing some deep self-heart reflection and allow God to do a deep clean in your life. There are probably in many ways that you have grown in holiness throughout your life and throughout your journey with Jesus, and yet there is always work that God wants to do by His Spirit in every single one of us. And it's our role, part of our role is to help keep the temple of God, which is all of us, uh, holy. As I said, there might be things in your life. It might be pride, might be gossip, might be bitterness towards someone, might be judgment towards someone. Um, all of these things are able to creep into our life and we are able to, uh, to allow the Spirit of God to transform us and to burn these things away. And so what I want to do is give us, although I want to give you the opportunity to do that later on this week, I also want to give us the opportunity to do that now. Um, there may be, for some of you... Um, there maybe have not been uh, opportunities in your life over the past few years to really stop and take stock and have deep self-reflection and think about those things in your life that might not be from, from Jesus. But what I want to encourage us to do, just as the team comes up right now, and as we sing this next song, um, is just to allow the Spirit of God to, uh, to reveal any of those things in our heart that are not from Him so that we can keep God's temple holy. Let me pray together. We're going to remain seated during this, this next song and then we'll stand for our last song together. And so Holy Spirit, who makes your home in the lives of believers, we invite you to come right now and to minister to our hearts. We invite you to come and change us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and burn out the things 
within us that are not from you. Would you help us to experience the freedom that comes through knowing you? So that we might grow in in holiness together. Lord, would you help us to to be filled with reverence and awe at your presence here with us? Reverence and awe that you are always with us. Help us to know the significance of that, to not take it lightly and to allow that truth to change our hearts every day. So minister to us right now, Holy Spirit. Make us holy as you are holy. In Jesus' name, amen.